Welcome to Dr. Lottie Science with Soul. I'm Dr. Lottie and the host of this podcast. I'm a physician, medical intuitive, evidential psychic medium, international keynote speaker, and author of Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul, an inspirational story about transformation, healing, and spirituality, which won first place in the category of spiritual leadership in August 2021 from Living Now Book Awards. This award recognizes truly world-changing books that contribute to positive global change. The inspiration for this podcast came from my own life experiences. As I have journeyed through life, it has taught me that we're part of a greater divine web of interconnectedness. I have walked the path of illness, healing, and transformation. After two near-death experiences, I became clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient, and was guided to attend medical school at the age of 54. We will be meeting with many different types of doctors, healers, as well as spiritual leaders, educators, and other inspiring souls in this podcast. It is my hope that you will gain information and create a path to healing your own life physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and bridge the gap between science and soul. If you are a person who understands the interconnectedness of mind, body, and soul, and would like to take one of my courses or work with me to create a path of healing your own life, please visit divinespiritualessence.com or drlaudi.com. To stay up to date on future episodes and to help us reach a larger audience, remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast, as well as subscribing to my newsletter at divinespiritualessence.com. Welcome to Dr. Lottie's Science with Soul. I'm Dr. Lottie and the host of this podcast. Today, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Kim DeRay. Dr. Kim DeRay is trained and practiced and certified in multiple disciplinary treatments as a trauma healer. Her trauma healing response model has grown in popularity by referring physicians, psychiatrists, and psychologists to individuals seeking a better and balanced nervous system. Dr. DeRay is also certified in somatic experiencing. So she is a somatic experiencing practitioner. She has a master's in education as well as a master's in counseling. Dr. DeRay received a well-earned doctorate of behavioral health from Arizona State University. And besides being a certified and clinical hypnotherapist, Dr. DeRay is certified in Shape Down and Kid Shape, two nationally acclaimed childhood obesity programs. Dr. DeRay uses her knowledge and skills to work with individuals dealing with trauma. And in 2015, she received and was recognized with a Spirit of Achievement Award from Sierra Tucson for the clinical work in the trauma healing field. The trauma healing therapy approaches that Dr. DeRay uses are interrelated. Dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT, and somatic experiencing, SE, are integrated for more nervous system regulated balance. Dr. DeRay has also created her own healing technique using tools of attention, intention, and awareness 
using a client's own levels of resilience called Blueprint to Freedom. Each of her treatment sessions are unique and takes place in a non-judgmental and safe environment for a healing sanctuary. Dysregulation of the nervous system is caused by traumatic experiences or events, or natural events such as tornadoes, fires, the COVID pandemic, catastrophic illnesses, or human breaches such as in utero and birth trauma, attachment issues, eating disorders caused by trauma, all abuse, including neglect, physical and sexual, tissue trauma, surgeries, or car accidents. Using shifts in the neurological, chemical, and physiological complex systems of the body and mind are part of Dr. DeRay's healing trauma protocol. The individual becomes free from the imprisonment of their trapped pain and can then flourish and thrive in their own self-care. Helping others with their healing journey is the work Dr. DeRay loves and feels honored to do. So welcome, Dr. DeRay. It's an honor to have you as a guest. I can't wait to, to hear about all the different modalities that you use. Uh, yes, I'm excited to be here also. I really love the work I do. People often ask me, do you get burnout? Like hearing all those people's stories. And I don't work on that end. I don't work on the stories or the uh, tell me about the trauma. trauma uninformed practitioners will ask about the trauma. I work on the patient's resilience and their ability that they survive something that on, on some occasions seems so overwhelming that I wonder how they survive. But the human resilience system or survival system is really, really strong. And it may not seem like that when people are crumbling because they're they don't feel free from the past, especially when there's flashbacks that are flooding in. Um, flashbacks are an interesting piece of work because it comes in all types of different sensories. In fact, all the sensories, the, they come in smell, sound, taste, uh, sensation, feeling, and then imagery. But most people think of it just as imagery. But flashbacks are where the past becomes intrusively present and they, and they live it or relive the trauma until we can get some work on on completing a self-protective move that didn't get completed so for example um, if there is a birth trauma and and the practitioners doctors nurses even the mom and dad goes hey it was a perfectly normal birth to the little being it might not have been but no one can tell because they can't talk and they don't have any cognition for it. And so where they were struggling for their life, maybe stuck in the birth canal, maybe a cord around their neck or swollen amniotic fluid or merconium. At, at one point, that little being may have fought to live. And then the trauma is stuck in the tissue and can remain there until they can complete a self-protective move, which they can't fight or flee that situation. So that's one example of, of some of the work I do in, in this place where there isn't really a story, but there is some blocked energy from not being able to fight for themselves or flee from the event. So I know you work as a somatic experiencing practitioner. What does, what does that mean? What is a somatic, ex, somatic experience? What is that kind of therapy? Well, I learned in my training that somatic doesn't mean 
somatic experiencing, a, a lot of times it, it doesn't mean that we're working in the body or with the body. What it means to me or how I interpreted it when I was in the training is completing a self-protective response that didn't get completed. So we're animals without tails. And if you are going to study animals in the wild, and I think that's what Peter, Dr. Peter Levine did when, and he's the, the theologist of, the, of this practice, um, somatic experiencing, uh, and that he created and developed it, is that animals in the wild don't have trauma. So if, if a zebra, if a zebra herd is going around the oasis and drinking water and some lion comes and attacks their brother, they can go back to the watering hole <laughs> the next day. But as caged animals, which we are, we, we can't do that. There's so many pieces to that in our, our, our perception of, of our life that we can't have our nervous system just kind of shake it off and, and know that we survived that event and we weren't the ones that were in the breach at that time. Um, but that doesn't work for us because we've ha we have this cognition and, and limbic system. And so our survival system, the, the brainstem system um, in our triune brain uh, oftentimes gets thwarted or masked with the other pieces of our, our cognition and then our limbic system, but also from our tissue. So, so what I notice with the people that I work with, and I have to say the people I work with have taught me my craft. <laughs> I've gone through lots of trainings, but they're the ones that have guided me really and, and been open to me asking them questions or being brave enough to say, hey, you know what, I studied this, could I, could I try this? I have a good sense that this will be helpful to you. And I think that's um, a piece of relationship of trust that I don't think we really heal until we're in a trusting relationship where we can kind of do those things. So I think that's one of the most important pieces is, is human relationship in a trusting environment with a trusting person. Um, a lot of the breaches that I work with have happened be, from human experience and the breach has been with a, another human that's been pretty devastating and betraying that I often am surprised that someone's with me behind a closed door. I, I mean, that some of the things that have happened to people. Um, so in, in those experiences, back to how I learned it is by having people trust the work that I'm doing in that they feel a better, even if it's 0.00001% better or 1% more present to the present world or the now, that um, then we were able to then get some more work done in, in places where I could relieve the tissue of a memory um, because it records everything. Our tissues record just as if we were um, putting down a soundtrack on a, on a CD or a DVD. Yeah. So, so how does it differ? So if you go to counseling, talk therapy and you've had some traumatic issues and then they come to see you um, for somatic experiencing how does it differ do they lie on a table and you work on their body or do you is it more talking or how does that differ I think it's a little bit of both where we're talking but I'm doing certain things in the talking so some people um, most somatic experiencing is 
it through talk therapy, but the adjunct to it, the, the nonverbal piece of it, um, I do with touch work. So I'll explain after I explain that the talk work um, where we're having conversation and I'm using social engagement as part of that. Um, finding the places that are safest for or safer, like some people don't feel safe at all. So it's safer <laughs> um, places to experience, maybe just sitting different places in the room and feeling what safer would feel like. And sometimes it's really difficult because people usually come to me and they're not, their bodies are numb because the harm's been so much that, and the pain the emotional pain and physical pain is so much, they have to go to numb in order to survive because the pain is so overwhelming um, that they would suffer with it. So I talked to them a little bit about numb as a sensation. I, um, we talk about what that feels like. We talk about disassociation, which I'm, I'm a big fan of um, <laughs> because those are places where the body and the mind can take a little break living in that place is different, but some people live in that place. And, and by talking about it, we're able to kind of thaw the system out. But what I do in the very beginning is I educate them on, on the, in the autonomic nervous system and how a breach activates into a freeze so that their body is experiencing uh, the revving motor underneath, even though they can't feel anything, like the brake and the gas are on at the same time and they're burning energy all the time where there's a high adrenaline uh, and cortisol flow. And so I explained that whole piece to them and, and, and I have a painting that I painted that, that helps, you know, pictures worth a thousand words that help them understand it in a way that's not verbal because our, our, in trauma, the, the body and sensation are talking a different language than our, than our verbal skills can, can handle or can even match. So they understand the painting and they go, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> and so from there, then we, we work on calming, even if it's just a little bit or some regulation skills. The, the next piece after that education of, of the autonomic nervous system and how the system activates after there's a, a breach and where a where calming system or normal system works and where we're all working towards uh, where the parasympathetic nervous system comes and calms. Like we want activation because that's how we work and, and to calm, but not to have it escalate up into a, a freeze response, which is either a hypervigilance response or a complete collapse. It can show it's or manifest in two different ways and anything in between. So then I teach them to orient, um, which is engaging in the environment, the five senses. Um, in the triune brain, I, um, I said before in our first piece, you know, there's the, the cognitive piece um, where we can tell ourselves all kinds of things, all kinds of ways to distort or disillusion ourselves. and um, and then there's the limbic system, the second system, which we can have misfirings of activation and misinterpretations where a body will send signals of rising adrenaline. And then we go, okay, something bad's gonna happen. Something really bad's gonna happen. But what it is, is the body gives a missed signal because it's been firing for a long time. But our brainstem tells the truth. It's just our survival system. And it can see whether there's 
justifiable threat. And I, the way I define justifiable threat is threat of life or death. So I teach them how to orient. I'll, I'll tell you this now. I'll teach you how to <laughs> do it together. In the wild, animals orient, and you can go and watch bunnies in the yard um, or, or wild animals, they will orient six to seven times a minute. We don't even look around because we've been taught to face forward when they're in school. Um, now with, with car sensors, we don't have to turn our neck anymore to see who's <laughs> on the side of us. We're just trained to look forward, to look into somebody's eyes when we talk to them. And so we don't orient, we, we're trained out of it. And we need to train back into it as a, a first piece to start regulating our nervous system to assess whether there's justifiable threat. So, I have people turn their chin and neck so they can access the brainstem. That's how we access it. And the, that's the way the brain can bypass this limbic system and prefrontal cortex system and can see clearer the, the threat that's around us. And so I, I, if they can't turn their chin and neck because some kind of medical issue or trauma, which I think all medical issues come from trauma. Anyway, <laughs> emotional trauma. I think that's where mm -hmm. they, I, that's my belief. Um, then I have them use sound first, but I say, okay, I'll do this with you. Turn your chin and neck and notice where you are in relationship to the corners of the room. And they look. Mm -hmm. And then turn your chin and neck up at the ceiling, noticing the patterns and shadows in the ceiling. Turn your chin and neck down to the floor. Notice the patterns and shadows on the floor. Turn your chin and neck to the doorway, the path out the doorway. Do that in every room you're in. That's your escape system or your safety system. Listen to the sounds inside and outside the room. That bell hang, uh, rang at the right time. Smell the aroma. Even if there is none, none is an aroma, so you don't go searching for something. The taste in your mouth, even if there is none. Notice whatever's at your fingertips, even if it's your other hand, notice in temperature, texture, the quality of that touch. Notice the pressure points of your body in the chair, the sofa that you're sitting in. And if your feet are on the floor, notice the support of the floor that extends not just to your feet, but all the way up through your legs. That's orienting. And if people practice and practice and practice that, that it's like CPR, that in the moment of probably a panic attack or a com complete collapse, their muscle memory will access that at the right time so that they can assess for justifiable threat. Because under trauma, the, the gut or this, the sensory system that is instinctual is shut off. We can't, we can't access that. So orienting gets us back to that. Um, and I have them practice and tie it to something that they do each day, like brushing their teeth in the morning and at night. Um, and then do a little warning that don't, don't do it while you're driving because that'll make you dizzy if you're orienting the things that are flashing past you. But we can orient outside by looking at the buildings, uh, trees and mountains. We can orient things that are, are sedentary or, or stable or going at our same speed. 
So is that, I, yeah, is that something that's good for panic attacks, anxiety, or PTSD, or all of the above? The above, all of the above. And, and people notice immediately the system doing some type of regulation. And when, when we can hook into the, the little moments of regulation, we can then expand that window with each session and the resilience the resilience that they live through, whatever they live through, some people over and over again, is their strength. And so we work on the place where they did escape or they did fight back. Sometimes a fight back is just telling an abuser no. Sometimes that's a big fight because <laughs> they're not used to speaking for themselves. Okay. Then the, the body work that I do would be working with the physiology, chemistry, um, and physics of the body to shift mental and physical disorders. And so that is working from the bottom up. We do have brains in our body. Um, our heart is a brain. And the way I would define a brain would be a learning organ. Our, our brains have neurons and the gut has neurons. So the gut is another brain. And those two brains are cut off in trauma a lot. And that's why some of these people who've had lots of trauma, if they use their executive function, that this cognitive brain, some of them do really, really well, but their body is being just burning uh, through the tissues and through adrenaline and cortisol overload. And so a lot of times they can function really, really well, but they're not connected to other people and their bodies start to break down. Yeah, do you see um, people getting physical problems as a result of unresolved trauma because it's being suppressed in, in the tissues? Yes, um, yes, very much so. I, I think some of the study from the ACE, the um, ACE testing that was done by Kaiser Group, um, that's the assessment for childhood events. I think the E is events. And um, are you familiar with that? That. It sounds familiar. I haven't, I haven't looked into it, but so, you know what it's like going through med school. Yes, yes. <laughs> we don't really get into, uh, you know, the different practices. It's more, you send them to somebody recognized when they need it, right? That's we're general practitioners. So this ACE study mm -hmm. was done by Kaiser group that was looking at um, childhood obesity in the beginning. But what they found is that there are children that have had trauma, I'm gonna take a drink too. And they studied these children as they grew up. And there is a, there's two different tracks of a 10 question survey and an 18 question survey. And if they answer in the 10 one, anything over three, that by the time these people are 50 and they haven't addressed their trauma, then the risk for heart disease, early death, um, teen pregnancy, uh, abusive relationships. I'm, I'm trying to think of what other medical pieces. Um, there's other uh, cardiac arrest. There's, there's all these different things yeah. that mm -hmm. are so much higher than people who haven't had childhood trauma or developmentally developmental childhood 
um, experiences in, in the abuse category or uh, loss category um, where they haven't been able to attach or the, they grew up in a, um, a divorced home or witnessed, a, even the witnessing of abuse is one of the questions. So that if people can um, come to a place where they can heal or trauma healing in a way that they get to complete the self-protective moves um, in, in these places where uh, trauma is kind of like holding water in your hand. It's, it's there, but it gets invalidated because you can't kind of grab it, but you can feel the experience of it. That's the, that's the validation of it. That these people can heal and not have the significant medical issues that people who had trauma in their um, childhood and don't then address the trauma issues, um, they can avoid the medical problems that um, would occur or that have been logged by the research. Um, the Kaiser Group is an insurance company they were noticing uh, because there's, a, there's the, the insurance payout to all these people who've had trauma. So anyway, it's a, it's a real thing. And um, the research shows that yes, those issues. And like I said before, I believe that the emotional pieces and the trauma pieces do become medical and kind of see it that way. <laughs> yeah. Of the, at the root of those medical pieces. So I don't know what in your medical practice, if you see people who've been heartbroken and they have heart issues, mm -hmm. you see that tie in. Yeah. I think um, Dr. Gabor Mate, I forget his the book, When the Body Says No, that's the book. He talks about the different research that was done and how he they could predict, the psychologists could predict who who had breast cancer and who did not have breast cancer before they did the biopsy. And they were correct. It was some astronomical, it was like 90% or something. And just based on the survey of different kinds of abuse and emotions that they had carried and suppressed it. And I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. So whatever the trauma is, it's going to get stuck somewhere in the body because it's not coming out. And so you're pushing it down and you're holding it somewhere in the body and then yeah. yeah so in order for it to heal it's gonna have to surface at some point and you're gonna have to heal it and bring it up to the surface so it can leave and it can release in a in a way that's not releasing by taking out part of an organ uh, right <laughs> and the body bears the burden of all trauma i mean the suffering and, and psychological impairments are huge also, but the body's the one that takes the biggest brunt. Mm -hmm. And then you, you integrate this with a dialectical behavioral therapy, the DBT. So how, what is that? How does the, how's that different from somatic experiencing? Um, it's a skill set. So it has four different modules. Um, mindfulness is one of them distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness. And I've found that in the training with somatic experiencing, they do have a piece that starts teaching skills for people who are not able to grasp learning 
things and assimilating it just by life experiences in trauma there isn't a way to kind of observe well that that person started to to yell and the other person yelled back and oh no one was listening to each other um and but their request was good but the manner in which they requested wasn't and so teaching the skill set for the people that that need a scaffolding to work with in how to deal with their emotions or when they're in crisis what to do and one of the skill sets in crisis i think this is really interesting that it's taught is the first skill in the distress tolerance module is not doing anything like it don't make it worse don't do anything because there's such a big reaction or big um, emotions which feels like an, a huge energy especially if someone gets angry that they feel like they have to behave to it and sometimes that makes things worse it gets people in a lot of trouble in that they breach relationships at that point some people go to jail for that and and a lot of times it's a reaction from trauma um, and then this mindfulness piece where we find a place that um, we can quiet our minds or rest our minds. Um, and, and it's really hard for people with trauma. So sometimes that's maybe five seconds that we do a mindfulness piece. But I teach these skills that are written and developed by Dr. Marsha Lenahan, who's just fabulous in, in writing these these four modules to help people in uh, dire need of understanding a scaffolding that they've never had before. Our first teachers are our parents and, and they don't know how to teach us how to regulate our emotions. It's mostly like, don't be sad, have a cookie if you're sad. Like those aren't skills mm -hmm. that are helpful. It's pretty invalidating too. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so in the, the dialectical behavioral therapy. It is teaching the skills in a simplified form and then going out and practicing it and coming back and talking about it. And then teaching another skill, building on it, going back and practicing, coming back and talking about it. So it, it works really great in conjunction with the, the healing piece of somatic experiencing. Then you also mentioned in your bio, you mentioned the blueprint to freedom. What, what is that? The blueprint to freedom is a, is a training. I have two tracks in training, but it's a training that I developed from my patients that I learned and where I felt that um, each of these traumas could be sectioned off into a module. And so um, the first module is the introduction where I teach the skills of my touch work, which is, is reading vibration and frequency of the body and um, having people learn a new kind of braille, so to speak, and, and how to see in the body with, with the touch that I do, the touch work that I do. Um, it also, I work on, um, where this skill that I've had to learn, maybe you do too, 
um, have learned it along the way, or maybe they taught it to you. I hope someone taught it to all the practitioners is attending, but not joining. Because if we join people, we would be burned out in the first week of our practice. So attending and not joining is something that I spend a lot of time on. If I attend and don't join and I stay really present in my sessions, then I drive away with more energy at the end of the day than when I start in the beginning. So it's a really um, important skill. A lot of practitioners are, are very deep empaths and we want them to be we want them to be so empathic but if they take on the the um trauma piece or the the sensation um their bodies then start breaking down as well mm -hmm. so that's part of this and talking then about the the body systems um and really learning that probably the medical pieces that you learned um i teach that i used to teach school so, but the, the oldest grade that I taught was second grade. So I would say I, I take really complicated medical information and I dumb it down to second grade level. And then I teach practitioners and it works out really well. <laughs> I love it. But so you actually did teach school at some point earlier in your career. I taught um, a combinations of kindergarten, first grade, first grade second grade like there were different combinations um and then the last three years it was straight second second grade yeah so was, that was the highest grade ever taught <laughs> yeah, that's that's just such a great story because that makes you so unique because you can take the concepts and you know how to break it down so that a child can understand it but you know we're not that different <laughs> as adults we really aren't and it's the best teachers are the teachers that can break down the concepts so that a child can understand. Because also the, the people, when they're learning something new, the material is not so threatening. It's, you know, they sort of just absorb it and it's very different. So that's a, that's a great skill to have, to be able to break it down like that. And then the trainings are experiential. So, so we'll learn it and then I will I'll, I'll uh, do a demonstration within the training and then they each practice on each other. And so there's lots of, and I'm in there and they're hands on and I'm able to then address any issues that they have. Um, there's a lot of fear with touching people because we've been trained in the schools, don't touch in psychotherapy and me the medical practice you have to touch, but it's don't touch them, don't touch them, don't touch them. It's like, no, <laughs> we do touch our patients, but some people don't tell behind the closed doors um, they do comfort them or hug them or, or hold their hand. It's the, the, the major pieces is you don't have sex with them and you don't hit them. But this piece where our healing with each other comes in a, a safe touch. And if we have it as a secret behind a closed door that we're holding someone's hand because we're afraid that the Board of Behavioral Health is going to get, get um, upset with us or we're going to get turned in is... It's so against the whole trauma healing model of this comfort um, that we generate to each other. Just, just maybe in, in holding someone's, someone's hand in, in a helpful way or a calming way. So um, I do have people who are going to do touch in the session. I have them sign a consent um, just to protect the, the part that's been trained in us. And then um, 
I, I never work with any child under 18 without a parent in the room. So that kind of some good protection there. But then the, the other pieces of the training, I do attachment, childhood developmental trauma and early feeding, because that's where a lot of feeding issues and eating issues happen is that early on. And then, uh, um, then another um, training module from the Blueprint to Freedom is the immune system. And I talk about the, uh, that's where we work with hormones and glands and, and the secretions that they produce and the organs and then the brain and body chemistry and how that works, and then diaphragms. The way I define diaphragms is anything with a bell and a bowl. So a knuckle is a diaphragm too. <laughs> and, um, and then there's falls, trips, car accidents, uh, global high intensity head and brain injury and, and broken bones. And so that's another module. And then another one is the fascia, tissue tears, ligaments and tendons, surgeries, which is pretty, big trauma because of the anesthesia um, really causes like a, a poisoning in the body and then and more on the organs underneath uh, a surgery setting. And then the last one is uh, poisons, chemotherapy, cancer, Lyme diseases, radiation and electromagnetic field influences. And those are the six modules that, that I've created and developed out of what I find can be separated in my touch work with with patients yeah it is it is really fascinating the work that you do because when you go through medical school we're just trained to treat the people right treat the patient don't do any harm suppress the symptoms and sometimes people need surgery and then the outcome let's say somebody has cancer they go through chemotherapy and they have you know they're really sick for a long period of time and we don't even think about the fact that that is going to cause trauma for this person, even if the even if it's a good outcome and they survive and now they're cancer free, but they went through that trauma, not knowing if they were going to survive or not. And, you know, every day, uh, just, just struggling to survive. And we don't even think about it. You know, we, you know normal people, oh, they're, they're great now. They, they survived, they're healed, but they carry all that trauma in their body still. We really, every practitioner, there should be a model the way we treat our patients. You know, we treat them, we help them to become better, but then they should be sent to somebody like you for the follow-up to, to heal the body. Or to work in conjunction because mm -hmm. work with cancer patients while they're going through treatment is, is probably the, the most helpful because the fear involved, that high adrenal overflow of I'm in danger, I'm in danger, I'm in danger, really dysregulates the nervous system. And it, it creates a place where the healing is just a lot more difficult. It's, it's like you're walking up a mountain anyway, in a metaphorical nervous system place, but now you're walking up a mountain, pushing a boulder that seems to run over you at times with those kind of situations, scenarios where there's, there's chemotherapy to help you, but it's also poisoning your body. Then there's the fear of the C word cancer that permeates the whole household, especially if it's the mom, that's the hub of the family and it causes havoc. So it's a lot more helpful to 
to work with somebody while and during I afterwards yes of course but it's it's helpful so that it the trauma doesn't lock lock in yeah it's absolutely a lot yeah to go from the back end then through the beginning to the end yeah yeah I mean that's the true mind body spirit healing if we could just integrate all of it in our western medicine you know western medicine is so good at acute uh, you know acute problems you know car accidents heart attack things like that uh but when it comes to anything else um you know we need that integration of body mind spirit and what your your work is the epitome of that and really uh working with the tissues and the organs and the memory and the trauma of the events themselves so um, I know you also work, uh, you have a certification in shape down and kid shape. Can you tell us what that is? Yes. So those two are similar programs, just different um, ways of going about it for childhood obesity, which really treats the whole family. So not only are you treating the, the main kiddo, um, but the family that's going to support that well-being system. Um, so teaching um, the the kiddo, but the family's brought in. So now we're 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 utilizing the family as the support outside of the therapy, um, because they're going to continue through the week until we meet again with some of the pieces that um, are going to change habits, change mindsets. And then the support of the family is they are going to now all work together to prepare meals, to eat in circadian rhythm. So when you eat is as important as what you eat. So a lot of it's educational. Um, and, and then the part where they're moving their bodies. A, a lot of children nowadays don't move at all because they've got so much screen time that they're working with. COVID did not help that. Um, they sat in a, a Zoom classroom or a, a virtual classroom a lot of times. And then that overwhelm or overload caused them to shut down the social aspect of, of being together and, and joining in kind of some teaming activities like a basketball team or a, a soccer team, those didn't get met, those needs didn't get met. We need to move our bodies and we need to be in kind of herds, we're called to that. And so um, with Shapedown, the, they utilize both both of the Shapedown and Kids Shape, utilize the family as the active role to do that. And sometimes it's it's makes it really fun. It becomes their game night. They One of the activities is to build an obstacle course through the house and then they time each other and um, make it really fun. Other times it's a dance off. <laughs> so that exercise and moving our body isn't a tasky kind of thing where we're, we have to make sure we hit two miles every day and it's running. It, it has this place where it's fun and it actually connects the family together. So many people don't have table time anymore where they sit together for dinner or some of the meals together. Um, and in the research for Kids Shape and, and Shape Down is people that, families that do sit together, there's, there's more nurturing than just food intake that's happening. 
they are getting a nutritional balance of this social connection and feeling more supported in their lives emotionally. So that's another piece of that is we, we work towards them sitting together for some of the meals. Um, I think seven days a week is, is not, not going to happen in, in this day and age, but uh, for most of the meals. And so it's, it's important work. The piece that I noticed though in America where childhood obesity isn't kind of addressed is that it's not really a moneymaker for places. So, you know, there's, there's intensive outpatient programs for eating disorders, but for childhood obesity that they don't, they don't get the intensive outpatient until they're adults. And then sometimes it's, it's elective surgery with the, yeah, with the bariatric um, sleeves and, and those kind of surgeries, but the emotional pieces don't get addressed that gets addressed in shape down or kid shape so that we, we change the habits early on and address the emotional pieces early on. So those two programs are really important. I think they, it's, it's caught on in some places, but it's not really, I think, illuminated because the, the eating disorders of anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating are the, the ones that, and binge eaters sometimes are normally weighted. So those are the pieces that get kind of addressed through insurance companies. Um, yeah, so anyway, it's important work. It's lovely work. These, these people um, that have obesity within their childhood, really are happy about it. It's not a dieting form. It's a, it's a new perspective and way of life change or transformation with the whole family. So anybody that's listening to you now and thinking, wow, I want to go see Dr. Kim DeRay. <laughs> how do they, how do they find you? They can find me through my website, which is kimderay.com, K-I-M-D-I-R-E.com. So they can, they can find me there. Um, or they can email me. Um, the, my, there's a contact piece in my website, but my email address is k-r-d-i-r-e-01 at gmail.com. K-r-d-i-r-e-01 at gmail.com so they can email me or they can call so my office number is 480-206-4646 and I answer my phone so I don't have an assistant um, I don't have an office manager or anything like that you call me direct um, I prefer it that way it is um, a way of building relationship and also the part where um, someone can ask easily. <laughs> I try to make it as easy as possible for people. It's really hard for somebody to make the call, the call to go get help. Um, and so then if they're met with somebody that's not me, not to say that the front office managers aren't amazing, it's that, that sometimes they won't go back again. It's too hard. 
yeah, it's too hard to ask. And make my paperwork really simple too, because people in trauma really can't read small print, especially if they're activated to come into a session and they've never had therapy before, they're overwhelmed. So I make the paperwork as simple as possible. <laughs> I try to make it easy for people, but I still have to, you know, do the the legal and regulated pieces of of my work. So um, I follow that, but I, then I make it as simple as I can. So those are three ways to get all of me. <laughs> That's just wonderful. So I'm going to put the website in the podcast notes, and it's www kim k i m dire.com and your email correct me if i say it wrong is k r d k is it k r k r d i r e zero one at gmail.com that's it okay so i'll put both of them in the podcast notes and that way they can easily get to you they can send you an email is your phone number also on the website i don't think so Okay, so give me the phone number one more time. 480-206-406-4646. And you are located in Phoenix, Scottsdale area in Arizona. Yes. Do you ever see people, can they fly in to see you like for a couple of days in a row? <laughs> yes, I have um, a... It's another training track, but I have a unique specialty called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. That's the specialty. It is an eating disorder, but it's unlike the other eating disorders where the other eating disorders, anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorders are caused by a breach of a human relationship. So a maladaptive relationship is formed with food. ARFID avoidant restrictive food intake disorder is a breach to the tissue. And it usually happens at birth. Not everyone though, because um, I've had adults who had an onset of ARFID um, due to maybe a scoping or a surgery. And then that's the onset of ARFID. But ARFID is the fear of food. If I eat that, I will die. Now we know we need food in order to live, but ARFID um, becomes this really impactful piece of malnutrition for these children because then they're limited to these foods that feel safe to them, mm -hmm. out of uh, texture, um, very brand specific, um, the ingredients. Um, anyway, some of them are limited to th three or or four foods. And if you can imagine a two-year-old only eating three or four foods, then it's, it's pretty difficult in order to get them to um, even go to a restaurant to find something. But that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is they're hungry and they can't eat, um, which heightens their adrenal system, which means it's, this, this digestive tract even goes offline more. What I notice, and we'll never quite know that the onset is from some kind of in utero or birth trauma. The most common is the cord around the neck where they had to fight for survival, life or death. And then the food and the different textures activate that tissue memory to it being a sensory flashback. So if they swallowed merconium or the, the cord was around the neck, then they, they recall out of those foods that they're under threat again to, to die. 
and it's hard to tell then a, a three-year-old, um, you, you, you survived, you, you, you chose to live through that, now eat. <laughs> it's, it doesn't work like that. Um, so I work with the um, shutting off the adrenal system over and over and over again until the body can start regulating itself. And then we do other pieces where they can start to integrate um, new foods by, by, I do a couple of different things. One I call objection without constriction. I object to having this food, but I don't constrict my pathway to getting it. So it's a long piece of work, but anyway, that's things that I do. Um, so I have that specialty and there aren't a lot of practitioners that, that do the treatment protocol unless I train them. I do do trainings. And so I've trained a group in Minnesota, uh, one in California, cause it's four modules. Um, some people have only completed half and then COVID happened. Um, but, uh, people who have ARFID somehow find me, I'm on lots of mom blogs. Um, Stephanie Elliott uh, wrote a book called, um, <laughs> the name of the character is Sweet Pea in the Story. Um, oh my goodness. It just flew out of my mind. Anyway, her daughter came to me. Um, with Arfid, and then she wrote a fictional story about Arfid. So anyway, I'm on all her blogs too. Sad, and, perfect. Yes, no. thank you very much. That's it. That's it. Sad, perfect. A novel yes. by Stephanie Elliott. Okay. Yes. Okay. And so, um, so then these people do find me, and they call, and they come in and fly in from um, different states around the United States. Um, and I do have someone that comes in from Canada. And, and then I do intensive work because I have to get a large amount of work done in a short amount of time because they, I can't see them once a week if they live someplace else. Mm -hmm. So yes, people fly in and then I block off um, different hours to work with. Two families um, have come and gotten Airbnbs over the summer when the kids weren't in school. And then um, I, I work with them through the summer, um, but they're intensive also. I, I see them in, in groups of, of hours and multiple times during the week so we can get the work in before they have to go fly back home. And what, what age do you start seeing patients? I've seen anywhere from nine months. That's the youngest. Oh, oh, I've also, I also go into ICUs. So I work with preemies also. There's a lot of trauma with preemies. And if we can get that trauma healed before they even leave the hospital, then it's good. So um, yes, I, I've gone into ICUs for other things. I was in ICU this Friday, this past Friday for, um, uh, a man that he's 57 doesn't have our fit um but a lot of trauma and i if i can get them close to the point of trauma and work with them so that's that integrated approach where i am in icu working with the breach that just happened then a lot of other issues um go away their healing is faster and um it's it's it increases easily the, the regulation increases easily. So um, yes, so preemies to, um, I think my, my oldest patient is 84. Wow. <laughs> wow, so, just amazing work, just amazing work. Oh, um, 
so love it. I just so love it to to watch these amazing people. It's it's just my honor um, to watch these amazing people um, who've had such such traumatic things happen to them come through their lives with thriving and life-giving energy coming back into their systems by using their own resilience. I just guide them that way. I just go, let's go this way a little bit, but it's them that does the work. <laughs> I just get to witness it. <laughs> that's, that's amazing, the work you're doing. And if you had a message to give to all the listeners today, what would it be? Hmm. I would say the most important relationship that you're going to have in this life is the one with your own, one of your, to yourself and to treat yourself so kindly and with such compassion that you're able to walk through the life, your life with not beating up on yourself, not judging yourself, but walk through your life with a gentleness so that you can start to heal if you do have trauma, but it's just a nicer way to walk through your day. So I think the relationship with yourself is probably the, the most important one that you're going to have. And so treat yourself with just such a gentleness and a compassion. That doesn't mean you're, you're gonna be walked all over, you aren't gonna stand up for yourself, but that you're gonna be loving and kind and self-caring. Beautiful. So I want to thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom with the listeners. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled. Thank you for asking me. <laughs> Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Dr. Lottie Science with Soul. To stay up to date on future episodes and to help us reach a larger audience, remember to subscribe, review, and share this podcast, as well as subscribing to my newsletter at divinespiritualessence.com. If you are a person who understands the interconnectedness of mind, body, and soul, and would like to take one of my courses or work with me to create a path of healing your own life, please visit divinespiritualessence.com or drlaudie.com. My book, Med School After Menopause, The Journey of My Soul, an inspirational story about transformation, healing, and spirituality, which won first place in the category of spiritual leadership in August 2021 from Living Now Book Awards, is available online at Amazon, as well as other online platforms worldwide. If you are a person who understands the interconnectedness of mind, body, and soul, and would like to take one of my courses or work with me, To create a path of healing your own life, please visit divinespiritualessence.com or drlaudie.com. your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. 
Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 